0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, wishing you all a happy Easter as I'm recording this on Easter Sunday. It was a good weekend for me. Uh, good weekend for a lot of folks of my religious persuasion. This general conference was this last Saturday and Sunday, so not going not to get into it here, but it uh, been a good weekend. All right, on the agenda for this evening, because you're not here to listen to me prattle on about my religious beliefs, uh, we got some stuff to talk about. Uh, The UFC's next card, which will be coming this Saturday. UFC on ABC2. Uh, We'll have a full rundown of that. Uh, Several fights, well, a few fights got announced. Uh, Poirier versus McGregor, chief among them. We'll talk a little bit about that. Then there's some business news. Uh, We have some new some disclosed numbers about the new Venom deal, which, uh, UFC 260... Jeez. Event just happened, and I can't remember what number it was. UFC 261? 260, 260 sorry. Was the last, uh, yeah, was the last event on the old Reebok deal that went into effect in 2015. Now we have the Venom partnership, so I'll take a little bit of a look back at the Reebok deal. Now, a little bit of what we know about the Venom deal thus far... You know, have have a quick little talk about that. Uh, a couple of other business pe- little pieces of business news that I want to touch on. Uh, so yeah, we can look forward to that. I definitely am. Uh, let's see. Okay, please interact with the product a little bit. If you're already following, thank you very much. Or you know, subscribed or however your podcast platform of choice chooses to do that. If you could please give the video a like, a thumbs up, a rating, a review, a whatever it is. If you could uh, leave a comment, again, or review if that's more appropriate. Please, if you're listening on a platform that has likes, please like. That helps a lot. I, mean, I don't just say it because it's some, you know, shill thing I'm supposed to say. It does help the algorithm a lot if you, if you interact with it in addition to just listening. So, whatever you're on, if you could please, that is deeply, deeply appreciated. Alright, let's jump right in. This coming Saturday, uh, oh. UFC on ABC2. This will be again Saturday the 10th. This is an early morning card. Now, uh, the prelims, I believe, are scheduled to start at 9 a.m. Eastern. I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'll have to double check that. Either you or, or it's supposed to start at 10 a.m. Eastern. Which would translate to eight here. I'll, to, I'll double check that. Point being, early morning card. Apparently, they don't want to run head-to-head with WrestleMania, night one of which will be on will be Saturday. So, if we have any pro wrestling fans, you can—I'm sure you're all looking forward to night one of WrestleMania. I say that sarcastically, because <laughs> night one is not looking great. I mean, boy, the whole build, man. I don't want to dovetail too much, but not been a great build to Mania this year, huh? Not great. Anyway, your main event was supposed to be Marvin Vittori and Darren Till. Darren Till broke his collarbone, we talked a little bit about that last time. Stepping into his place is Kevin Holland, fresh off of his drubbing at the hands of Derek Brunson, and somewhat desperately trying to redeem himself in the eyes of UFC management after a really lackluster performance for the most part. So, bit of a step back for Vittori. If Vittori had beaten Till, he would have almost certainly been given the next title shot. Yeah, apart I've said this before. Apart from Gastelum, Vittori was the toughest fight of uh, Adesanya's middleweight career. I mean, obviously he did, you know, now with the loss to Jan, that. Uh, but at middleweight, you know, he beat, uh, he did beat Vittori, but that was a tough fight. Prior to the prior to his Leo, his knockdown drag-out battle with Gastelum, that was Adesanya's toughest fight, so we could very easily see a rematch there. I don't know if beating Kevin Holland gets him the same into the same position, especially with Will with uh, excuse me Robert Whittaker and Kelvin Gastelum set to fight. If Whittaker beat if Whittaker beats Gastelum, Whittaker should get the next title shot. I think pretty clearly. I know Adesanya already beat him, but if you look at the guys he beat to have got to have you know, earned another shot at that, you'd, there's not a legitimate argument against him. It would just be you know a Adesanya or his camp going, now. we don't want that for whatever reason. So, as for this fight, I was going to pick Vittori over uh, Till. I don't think Kevin Holland is as good a fighter as Darren Till as a general rule. Uh, actually, I'm not sure about that. I, I tend to think it. Till's fought a better level of opposition, again, kind of generally. Holland is a long guy. He's got good striking, but he... He couldn't stop a Brunson takedown, at, which is not the worst thing in the world if you're able to do stuff on the ground. Uh, there's a th- there's a truth about wrestling that needs to be understood more by I think a lot of the MMA fan base. Wrestling is what happens until someone concedes a position. It's not who's ever butt hits the mat first. It you're still wrestling if you're still fighting to get up to move around. Uh, The the real problem Holland ran into in the Brunson fight wasn't just that Brunson was able to effectively time him and get him to the ground, almost at will. It was much more that he couldn't do anything off of his back. He had no real ability to build up a frame properly, to hit a get up, to threaten with anything, to force a scramble, it was just, I got... I said at the time, that fight would feel right at home in, like, 2006. Or, you know, 2008 MMA. Somebody got a takedown, and we're going to be here for the next five minutes. Uh, you know, Holland, I won't be shocked if Holland wins. Vittori's got a, Vittori's got a decent chin. But you know, Holland just, I'm not going to sleep on the guy. I'm, I'm just going to say it like that. I favor Vittori. Uh, fairly comfortably, actually. Again, I'm picking him without a whole lot of, you know, hesitation especially on short notice i mean you credit to holland he is tying the fastest turnaround for main event for u f c main events he and Davis and Figueredo are now tied at uh, you know i think it's jeez uh twenty one days something like that you know Figueroa went from very quickly dealing with uh God who was it he just kind of starched. I forget, and then went on to have his five-round war with Brandon Moreno to close out 2020. Uh, Holland's doing a little bit of the Donald Cerrone thing. And... That style of fighting, that career path, and I don't just mean, like, I'm a fighter. I mean, I'm willing to fight whoever, whenever, wherever, uh, just for an opportunity. Uh, that, That might endear you to some fans... And it might open up opportunities for, you know, bonus money. But it's not the best long-term career path, depending on what you want out of your career. If you want to become champion, this is not really the way to go about it. Uh, so again, I'm picking Vittori. It's about as good a fight as they were going to throw together on that short of notice for this fight. So picking Vittori. And it'll be if God, this event still has 15 fights on it. I'm going to go fairly quickly through the rest of these. There's not a lot of reason to drag. Uh, the next one will get some time, but after that, it's going to be fairly quickly through here. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff that's that really needs a tremendous amount of uh, analysis and discussion. Uh, the co- that said, the co-main event is a solid fight. Sadiq Yusuf and Arnold Allen. It's a really good featherweight fight. Allen is... He's still undefeated in the UFC. Yeah. He's on a long winning streak. Yeah, he's he's been in the UFC since two thousand fifteen, believe it or not. Undefeated. He's won his last like nine fights in a row, I think. And six. And seven of those have been in the UFC. He won ten in a row. Hang on, I can't count. Four, five, six, seven, eight. No, he won nine. Oh. Yeah, 7 in the UFC. I don't know why I was miscounting that. Alright. Uh, which is a really... Uh, that's ridiculously impressive. The man should probably be ranked higher than he is. He is... What is he right now, actually? He should be ranked. I mean, featherweight's a, featherweight's a very, very tough division. I don't say that... Yeah, he's number 10. Okay. And Yusuf is number 11. So... A very relevant fight here at featherweight. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, Sadiq Youssef is a powerful puncher. He's not someone to be taken lightly. I mean, he's... I think he's lost in the UFC. No, he's 4-0 in the UFC? Yeah. Come on off that win over Andre Feely. Who am I confusing him with? I don't know, but... Someone else of similar build. Who has still had a successful UFC tenure thus far, but has has at least one loss. Uh... Huh. It's a it's a really good fight. I'm gonna lean towards Arnold Allen, just a little bit, but that's a really good fight. All right, the rest of this should be much quicker. <laughs> Middleweight, Kyle Dawkus, and a debuting fighter, Alisheh ha- uh, Hirizev. I'm going to assume that's how it's pronounced until I hear otherwise, and I need to know where this gentleman's from, because I'm pretty sure I, I if I butchered it. Fine, yeah, he's Russian. Okay, I I knew it was that part of the world. I just wasn't sure if it was straight up Russia or one of the kind of adjacent ones. Uh he's undefeated at 13 and 0. Dawkins is 10 and 1. Dawkins has, I think, one fight in the UFC. Maybe two. He's the he's the brother of uh, Chris Dawkins, who's making waves at heavyweight at the moment. Kyle, yeah, Kyle's one and one in the UFC. I'm gonna pick Hirasev, but uh. You're dealing with, again, a debuting fighter in Kirozev and a guy who's one and one. Uh... Who knows? A lot of ways that could go. Sam Alvey will fight Julian Marquez. Sam Alvey back down at middleweight. Why is Sam Alvey still in the UFC? Sam Alvey hasn't won a fight since 2018 when he got a split decision over John Vellante. That fight sucked. He got stopped by Little Nog in, in 2018. Look, the man had his run. And at times it was pretty good. He had a good stretch... I I joke about the guy a fair bit, but he had a good stretch of time, actually, in the UFC. He's just not there anymore. Uh, And Marquez finally got back on the winning side of things. Well, yeah, because he lost a split decision to Alessio Di Tirico in 18. Then he had that... Really nice come from behind winning his return in 2021. Uh, it was not that long ago, actually, just February. Uh, I'm picking Marquez here without too much hesitation. I don't pick Sam Alvey to win at this point. Women's strawweight Nina Ansaroff and Mackenzie Dern. I feel okay picking Dern here. It's not that Ansaroff is bad. It's more that she's just kind of... She feels a, like a very middle-of-the-pack kind of fighter. I mean, is she ranked? Women's straw weights. I assume she's ranked. Oh, uh, yeah. She's number... Five. She won that many recently? She just got beaten by Tatiana... She's been off for a while. Jeez, she has... Her last fight was June of 19. I mean, to be fair, she was pregnant and giving birth, so... Uh, did she give birth before? No, no. Her Because uh, she's Amanda Nunes' wife. And she gave birth in September of 2020. It's a fairly fast turnaround, actually, from giving birth. I mean, it's it's not unreasonable, but it's on the quicker side of things. I'm not sure she, she should be five. Hmm. Anyway, I feel okay picking Dern. Uh, Dern's on a three-fight winning streak. He's looked pretty good in all of those. Uh, Ansaroff's a good all-around fighter, but I have a hard time... The size difference, I think, will be a pretty big factor here. If Durin is able to get a hold of her, that'll be be a problem. Uh, Let's see, and kicking off the main card, Mike Perry will fight Daniel Rodriguez in your two big guys swinging punches at each other's heads. Uh, Rodriguez is coming off of his first loss in the UFC when he was beaten by Nicholas Dalby. And Mike Perry is coming off of badly cutting his calf open, kicking a glass door in his house, uh, one of his like windows. Uh, he missed weight for his last fight pretty badly when he got beaten up by. T- yeah, I'm I'm picking Rodriguez here. Rodriguez is Rodriguez is actually pretty good. He's got some really slick hands and he meshes them well with the opportunistic grappling. So Rodriguez. All right, as for the prelims, again, there's 15 fights on this card. It's just more than any fight card needs. Jim Miller fights Joe Selecki. I'm picking Jim Miller for sentimental reasons. Scott Holtzman and Matthias Gammert. Uh I'm okay picking Holtzman there. Women's That's a lightweight as well. Women's bantamweight. Erin Blanchfield against Norma Viana. Is it Norma Dumont? I forget how she prefers to be referred in the UFC. Uh, we'll go with Norma Dumont. Uh, she's Brazilian. Uh, Dumont is one and one in the UFC. Yes, she got knocked out by Megan Anderson. That wasn't her last fight. Her last fight was a win over Ashley Evan smith uh, whereas Blanchfield... I believe she's making her debut. Yes, she is. On a three-fight winning streak? Hmm. I'll go with, uh... I'll go with Dumont there, but... We're dealing with again at that level. We're dealing with fighters who are improving and training fairly rapidly, and there's a lot of variability there. See John McDessie and Ignacio Bahamondes. Where is that gentleman from? I'm I'm picking John. I'm okay picking John. Ma- is he from where is that Chile? Chilean flag. Is the Chilean flag? Uh, Bahamondes is making his UFC debut. McDessie. McDessie's been off for a while, I seem to recall. Now, he got beat by Trinaldo in 2020. That was about a year removed from a one from his only fight in 2019. Mm. Um, I'll pick McDessie, but I'm not sold on that. Heavyweight, because of course. Jorgen de Castro will fight Jarjus Danho. Uh, Danho. An Iranian gentleman, I seem to recall. Is the Iranian... No, that's the Assyrian. Wow. I needed a much closer look at that. He's Assyrian. He's fought in the UFC. Looks like the Iranian flag. Very similar. Uh, Danho fought... He's not yet won in the UFC. He lost his debut and then had a draw in his next fight. And that was... Jeez, he's been out. Uh, that draw with Christian Colombo was in... Uh, September of 16. Good grief. Had a bunch of cancelled fights between now and then. At least three. Yeah, that's thats rough. Oof. Uh, whereas Jorgen had a nice knockout in his debut and then followed it up by losing uninspired decisions to Greg Hardy and Carlos Felipe. I'm going to pick Jorgen Castro here, but that's mostly because of the layoff on Donho. Uh Bantamweight, Hunter Azure and Jack Shore. I'll pick Azure, but again, that could go either way. Featherweight, Luis Saldana and Jordan Griffin. Uh a different um jeez, Jordan Griffin's had a rough run. He's just one and three in the UFC. Hold I'm pretty sure it's his debut. Yeah. We'll be, yeah, I'll pick I'll pick Saldana there, sure, why not? That's speculative, but yeah. Light heavyweight Da Jung and William Knight. William Knight was supposed to fight uh, Alonzo Menefield a couple of weeks ago. Covid issues. Uh, here he's replacing Shamil Gamzatov, who fell out of this fight with, and, let's see, Chung. Won his first two fights in the UFC, then fought to a draw with Alvi. I'll pick Knight, but, uh, not completely sold on that. And kicking everything off at welterweight, Impa Kasanganai will fight Sasha Poletnikov. I th- I'm kind of feeling Kasangani here. I mean, he got... Kasanganai did get just... He was on the wrong end of the knockout of the century when, uh... When Joaquin Buckley at that jump-spinning back kick. Uh, so he'll be looking to bounce back from that. Politnikov. I think I have Hong Kong. Let's see. Fought a couple... Fought for the UFC... Let's see, in November. I'm gonna pick Kasanganai, but... One guy's had nine fights, the other's had eight, so there's, again, a lot of variability here in terms of who's going to be able to be successful. Uh, Anyway, yeah, that is the card. So, UFC on ABC, number two. No way the main event lives up to UFC on ABC 1 when Max Holloway just put a historic beatdown on Calvin Cater. Oof. Uh, yeah, but I will have coverage this Saturday morning, remember in the MMA zone of 411 Mania, so if you're so inclined, stop by, get fired up for Wrestlemania. If you, I say that because I know most of the 411 audience is built around professional wrestling. I'm pretty sure they just keep the MMA section around as a courtesy to me. Uh, I don't know how much traffic it draws anymore, but I'll take it either way. So, stop by, say hello, I appreciate it, as always. Right, moving on. We finally have the signed bout agreement for du- for the trilogy fight between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. They are set to meet July... 10th? I want to say it was the 10th. Yeah, UFC 264, July 10th. Uh, that will be over what used to be known as International Fight Week. Whether or not they'll go back to calling it that this year is largely going to be dependent on... Eh, how the pandemic is going in a couple of months, I think. Uh... Very clearly, the UFC would w- want that to be in front of a you know packed crowd. Uh, I think Dana White intimated he wanted to hold it at the whatever the Raider Stadium is in Vegas now. Is it the Allegiant Dome or something? I don't know. They've all got names, uh, and sadly, all of them are just you know, corporate names. So whatever that whatever that whatever that stadium is in Nevada in, in Vegas specifically, that's where they want to hold that. Well... I- Again, there's a lot of wait-and-see that's going into anything that many months out at this point. We just have to see how things play. But Poirier and McGregor, we all kind of knew this was coming. It's signed. It's sealed. Hopefully it happens. Uh, It will be a huge fight. If the UFC can actually get two Conor McGregor fights in a calendar year for the first time in a long time, it be a big deal for them. Big deal, and no, uh, well, there's, that dovetails into some of the business that we're going to talk about, not next, but in a minute. But, we're going to look forward to that one. I, I picked Poirier last time, I'll pick him again this time, almost certainly, but, uh, won't be shocked either way. Plus, McGregor pulls off like a go-go plot, that would shock me, but if we're just talking about an outcome, McGregor winning, that would not shock me. But, it's a big fight, uh, it would probably get Dustin Poirier the next title shot, all things considered. I mean he should be champion right now, but uh such is life, I suppose. Okay. Moving on. Well, Reebok is gone, long live Venom. Uh yeah, the the Reebok deal came to a close after UFC two sixty. So UFC and ABC two will be our first event under the new Venom deal. We'll see if the we'll see if there's any change to the um, you know, the looks, the outfits, etc. I imagine not which would be just a crying shame, but I I genuinely do wonder how much of the terrible design that went into those Reebok shorts was purely Reebok's designers, and how much of it was the UFC going, we don't like, you know, we want to <laughs> homogenize the product, so make sure nothing stands out. We can have no individuals here. We are all part of the collective. Yes, the UFC is the Borg. <laughs> oh, boy. So, we'll be on the look. So, we'll be it we have to wait and see a little bit how the gear looks. I I don't imagine a great change. But one never knows. We could be surprised. Uh yeah, with so the other thing about this and this deals with the payment, believe it or not. Uh let's see. So, they revealed a bit of the pay structure. This went into effect on April 1st, 2021. They're doing the same thing with uh uh, tenure, right? Number of bouts. So 1 to 3, you get 4 grand. 4 to 5, you get 4,500. 6 to 10, you get 6. 11 to, five, 11 to 15. 11, 16 to 20, 16. 21 plus, 21,000. If you're challenging for a belt, you get 32. If you're defending a belt, you get 42. Uh, these are all thousands. So, what does that actually mean? Well, believe it or not, this is a decrease. Um, <laughs> it's so screwed up. I'll yell about the Reebok stuff in particular in a second, but when I say it's a decrease, uh, the the Reebok deal as such would pay out. I'll take the title defense thing. The defending champion would pay out forty thousand dollars to a defending champion. This is forty two. You might be saying to yourself, "But that's two thousand dollars more. Isn't that an increase?" If you don't take into account inflation between between the Reebok deal going into effect and now, then yes. The Reebok deal went into effect in 2015. The rate of inflation for the United States dollar between 2015 and 2021 is about 11%, give or take. So, $40,000 in 2015, an equivalent in 2021 would be $44,000. They're actually getting 42 dollars Again, this is technically less money. Uh, Uh, this is, it's, it's a disappointing number. I mean, there's no two ways about it at this point, especially with, I'm going to dovetail into Reebok here because there was some stuff and we talked a little bit about this before. When the Reebok deal ended, some, the math was made apparent. The The Reebok paid out in the, paid to the UFC or a better way to say this. The UFC paid out its athlete compliance fund, its athlete compliance money, which was the Reebok money. Because Reebok never paid a fighter. This kind of people kind of forget this a little bit. Unless you, ha- unless an individual fighter had an individual deal with Reebok, Reebok paid the UFC. The UFC then established these pay structure guidelines to pay the fighters. Reebok did. They pushed back very hard when fight when a lot of fans went, "Hey, wait a minute, you guys aren't paying the fighters enough." Reebok said appropriately, "We pay the UFC. Uh, what they do with it from there is their business." Which might seem like them just passing the buck, but is in fact accurate. There was no deal between Reebok and the group of fighters. There were a few individual ones, but that's it. But math the math came out to you. The compliance money that was paid out was $38 million, over the full, you know, seven years of the deal. Um, That is... Look, one of the things that I think we got... W- that was mentioned. In fairness to the Reebok deal. Was that there were horror stories. Real ones. About fighters struggling to get paid on time by sponsors. That was a real thing. It's still a real thing on the on the regional scene. And it didn't stop being a thing. Uh, but... So there would be a consistency and a guarantee from a big company like Reebok that you're gonna get. You know, maybe you only get twenty-five hundred bucks, but having twenty-five hundred dollars in your bank is infinitely more valuable than an IOU for fifteen that you never collect on, which is also true. But across the board, this was such a huge loss of revenue for fighters. I mean, most fighters in the UFC. Lost money because of this. I don't think that's a stretch. Especially when you did the... Especially uh, when you did the breakdown on the finances of, you know... Any money that was going to... Any percentage that the fighters were getting of their gear that sold. Uh, because the uh, the UFC got a percentage of whatever was sold for a, a fighter's fight kit. And then the the fighters' percentage came out of the UFC's percentage. It was it, w- it was horrible. It was just a a giant financial loss for most fighters. And to be quite honest, if you pay attention, it was a black eye for the UFC. The UFC wants to be a big... It is, in many respects, a big sport in in the popular culture. No other sport like this, no other sport that is structured like the UFC, not baseball, not football, not hockey, not basketball, none of them, would accept an exclusive rights deal for a, an equipment provider at that rate. They paid... They paid less than $10 million a year, Reebok. That's ins- For something that is that is as big as the UFC, that's criminal. You Look, Reebok may have taken a black eye in terms of public perception for a lot of things as it relates to this. Some of it deserved... Like that horrible uh, like rollout of their product, which was comical, but they made a steal. Getting to, they got so much value out of that out of that deal. For what they paid, they paid almost nothing. Again, let's assume let's assume that the seventy million was correct, and that's what that is the total that was paid out by Reebok to the UFC over that period of time. Seventy million. Over you know seven years, give or take, so about 10 million, and probably less, because the deal supposed the deal included uh, stuff other than purely monetary compensation. I don't know exactly what that is, but that seems to be the case. To get and to be the exclusive provider of equipment for something as big as the UFC, that's on you know es now is on ESPN, forty some odd weeks out of the year it's it's insanely valuable and <laughs> they paid p- pennies on the dollar for what they got i'm almost positive uh now venom seems to be doing essentially the same thing i saw the joke that you know venom did the old prices right bit they bid one dollar more than the previous guy uh, and ultimately the only one who suffers is the fighters and I'm not here to beat this particular drum but thus far if you look throughout the course of history when it comes to business to labor or management relations some kind of collective bargaining is the only way to deal with this well this or leg- this or you either get a you either get collective bargaining whether that's a union or something adjacent to it and I'm not the biggest pro union guy in the world there are some unions that are criminal and that's not an exaggeration but you do need some kind of collective bargaining to have labor deal with management when you get this big that's that's the only way that things actually work whether you whether you think individual unions are good or bad when you have a large company and a large labor force uh it, it's just it's too big and unwieldy for a lot of individual stuff uh, but you know, short of that, or you either get that, so from the bottom up in terms of the workforce to management, or you get laws, be those state or federal, from the top down. Those are the only things that impact this stuff. And if fighters aren't happy about it, and they shouldn't be, no reason to be happy about this, not really. Uh, yeah, it's that's the that's basically the only way and for some reason, well, I shouldn't say for some reason. Look, if you want a if you want a, a microcosm of why this will continue happening until fi- until enough fighters wake up to this, Jon Jones this week, you know, in the last little bit, I'm I'm not going to go deep into this. Talked a little bit about some of his uh, some of the financial stuff between him and the UFC for the potential Francis and fight. The UFC offered him apparently eight million, and he said this is a bigger fight than that. And I was underpaid throughout the entirety of my 20th decade of life. Well, my 20s, my second decade. But that entire, you know, 10-year period of time I was in the UFC, I was underpaid. Which is... Look, I'm not asking you to cry for John Jones. That is mathematically true. And this will be one of the biggest fights that you'll have all year. I would like to, you know... How about 10? And... You know, or Something to that effect. Well, Derek Lewis jumped in on this and went, Hey, I'd do it for $8 million, and this is exactly why... Uh, this is exactly why fighters will never get anywhere. Because there's always gonna be somebody, one rung or more down the ladder, willing to do that, willing to take that shot for less because of maniacal self-belief. Whether it's warranted or not. And, and look, here's my other thing about this. This is not just about John. I said... (sighs) Uh, I said this last week. I think John should get around 10 million, 10, 12. I think Francis should get th- around that same amount. I'm not, I'm not here advocating on behalf of John, because John Jones deserves all the things. That would be a huge fight. Both John Jones and Francis and should be compensated appropriately for that particular effort. And. It's very apparent there's a lot of people in MMA who don't pay attention to boxing. When they talk about, well, no, th- this would be an $8 million, this should be an $8 million thing. Guys, Deontay Wilder, in his like first or second pay-per-view headliner, made almost $20 million for a fight with Tyson Fury that sold less... Than I think probably any one John Jones fight. And John has headlined multiple pay-per-views for the UFC and probably needed five pay-per-views. He needed five fights to make what Deontay Wilder made in one. And John is a significantly better fighter and significantly more important to the landscape of the sport in which he competes. I don't think either of those are controversial statements. And I know that we don't really want to get the full-on boxing architecture ported over to MMA. I don't want that. I don't think you want it either. Especially if you're one of those people who gravitated towards MMA because of the just endless bickering and bureaucratic red tape that held up boxing fights and continues to hold up boxing fights. You don't want that one-to-one port. But... MMA fighters, especially guys of a main event championship level in the UFC, most of them should just have another zero tacked onto whatever they're paid. Give or take. I... And look, I know that I'm potentially inflating cost. But I, I'm not talking about this from a business perspective. If you're a business, you're going to pay as little as humanly possible. And I get it. And if you're labor... You want to make as much as humanly possible, and you negotiate, and this is how we come to, and, you know, this is how we arrive at harmonious or at least acceptable co- compromises, in theory. So I get that the UFC wants to keep fighter compensation. Look, there is no debate about this. The UFC pays all of, pays out to its fighters less than 20% annual revenue. Period and they jump through all kinds of hoops to make that happen but they do it and i don't if you want to change that there's really all, you have guys have to get together that's kind of it and i'm not crying for john i'm advocating on behalf of all fighters be they you know bigger or smaller a- again the reebok uh, not just the reebok sorry the espn deal pays them oh like 500 million a year i think Fifty million years, something like that? I can't remember where that zero is now and it's bugging me. Uh let's see if I have that particular number close at hand. Uh because it was it was sign- i do not, and now I'm annoyed. Uh, point being, uh, the annual—I think this was the this was kind of the crux of that ESPN deal. Whatever the whatever ESPN pays the, U, the UFC annually, and I—I want to say it's, uh, yeah, I want to say it's you know a couple of hundred million. It's a lot of money. Might have be, been—I forget exactly. God, I could be horribly wrong and just looking like an idiot. But whatever it is that ESPN pays the UFC annually for their content covers all of the UFC's expenses for the year. Now, some of this is complicated by who owns the UFC, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But they they bend over backwards to keep screwing fighters. And we'll have to see how the Venom thing plays out, but I imagine the structure will be, at least what it currently indicates, it's identical almost to the Reebok deal. So fighters continue to get screwed. Yeah, uh, same old story, right? All right, uh, moving on, because I just mentioned it. Let's talk about who owns the UFC, believe it or not. You see, the UFC was owned, uh, was its parent company was Endeavor. Endeavor owned 50.1% of, of the UFC, so they own the majority. Because that's all you need is 50.1%. The most anyone else can then have is 499 so So what you say goes. Uh, this last week, they've been negotiating to buy out... And I think they have. I have to double-check. They're filing to. Um, buy out the other 49.9% of the UFC from a bunch of other people. Uh, I think Dana retained a little bit of his ownership stake. I'd have to double-check that, but uh, he might have... There were but uh, there were other people. There was... Who else? Um, let's see the, there was... Uh, a lot of private again this was all private investors uh this this was not public but in de- but you know um let's see uh, yeah we have several we have a bit of a list here for private investors um there was Paul Singer Elliott's management uh MSD Capital Silver Lake 10 and third point these are all just again investment groups uh, some of the some of Endeavor's clients had a bit of a stake in the UFC. Um, you guys like a, what was it Wahlberg, Guy Fieri, a few other celebrity clients of Endeavor, which is a part of again William Morris Endeavor, which is just a talent. It's not just a talent agency, but that's what it primarily was. So a lot of people had you know some parts of it, and they're looking to buy every to buy the rest of that. Um, Uh, that looks to be, well, uh, I think one of the, I think one of the, what um, one of the Middle Eastern, like the Fla- uh, Flash Entertainment Group or something like that, still had a part of it. So anyway, they're looking to buy all that out, and own 100% of the UFC. Uh, not sure how much that's going to cost. Uh, the deal initially to buy out the Fertidas was 4. point Some odd billion. So one imagines it would be fairly close to that. Um, But, again, who knows? So we'll... They're looking to do that. They're... Ah, jeez. And I'm not sure what that would mean. Well, I, I know why... And here's the other thing that should be pointed out. The UFC is the only thing keeping Endeavor afloat. If we look at the financial year... Now... Look, 2020 sucked for everybody moral 2020 sucks for everybody right uh yeah every uh, not too many people had a prof at a banger year in 2020 all right uh if you look at but if you look at endeavor uh they brought their entire their entire properties Brought in $3.5 billion, which wound up being a net loss for the group of $625 million. Now, that's not the end of the world. A lot of businesses can operate at you can operate at a lo- you can operate at a deficit. Uh, it's not easy, but there are certainly business strategies to do so. Uh, but the only property that was owned by Endeavor. ...that actually made them money was the UFC. Was their stake in the UFC. Without the UFC, the entire Endeavor Enterprise has probably gone belly up. That's, uh... (laughs) So they want to own all of it and have 100% of the profits... ...because they are in pretty desperate need of... (laughs) ...something that is cash flow positive (laughs) for that particular group. Uh, Yeah... Not a not a great thing there, um I don't think if there was anything else related to that. Uh, they apparently want to put Elon Musk on the board of directors. I don't care i I genuinely don't care uh this has led to a bit of speculation about Dana white uh Dana's gonna be there for as long as Dana wants to be there. I'm pretty sure uh whether you know, uh, he's. I don't. He uh, look. I don't. I may not be the biggest fan. <laughs> uh, but one thing, the UFC would not be where it is without Dana White's work ethic. I, I, at a bare minimum, if you want to say, if you want to give the man a fair shake, his tenacity when it came to going to every event, promoting it, fighting for it, he is one of the most crucial figures in the history of the sport. And when he steps down, I don't know who will step in to replace him. Uh, that's something become a. Long-running bit of speculation as Dana keeps getting older these days. And retirement becomes more and more an option for him. Uh, So, yeah, that's something we can be paying attention to who uh, endeavors looking to own 100% of the UFC. What that will mean, who knows? Who knows at, uh, at the end of the day, but it is something to keep in mind. Uh, okay, last thing I have on my notes, then we will check Twitter and potentially get into plugs. Um, yeah, remember that featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovski and Brian Ortega that got called off? Well, the UFC found a way to salvage it. Volkanovski and Ortega are going to coach this season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh... I hate that show. It is a pointless, vestigial relic of the past of the UFC. At a point in time, it was an important part of the history. It has long since served its purpose. It is it is best left dead in the past. And I hate that we're delaying this fight for it. I hate that we're holding up featherweight for it. Featherweight's a really good division. Could use the turnover. But instead, we're going to waste everyone's time You know, I saw this stupid thing on Twitter. I think it was Jack Slack. If you want to bring back the ultimate fighter, don't put champions as coaches. Don't do the champion and number one contender. Do recognizable names, but who make those stupid old man fights. And I think think Slack's recommendation was, do Diego Sanchez and Donald Cerrone. And you know what? I wouldn't watch it. I'm not going to watch this. But that would at least not hold up a title, and might provide for the kind of car crash entertainment that people watch that stuff for. Um, holding it up with champions and title fights, uh, holding up the divisions like that while you film and then air, and then ugh. I again, I hate it. I will not be watching that. I will not be. <laughs> I will not be watching that on my own time, and I do not expect to be covering it either. Uh, just, no. No, it's, uh, no. I hate it, but it's news, and there it is, and I'm sure there are people out there who are excited about the return of Tough. I don't know who you are, or how much head trauma you've suffered, or who hurt you in the past, but I'm sure you exist. Know that it's okay, you are still loved, you are still a valuable member of society, and please, I just really wish you'd make better choices. But that is my last bit of news, so let us go into a quick check through Twitter and see if anything crazy is broken while we've been recording this. In a really fast show, actually. Alright, nothing crazy MMA related has broken, so let's go ahead and get into plugs then. I had a pretty busy week last week. I pinch hit to cover WWE Monday Night Raw, which was one of the worst episodes of wrestling television I've ever seen. Just seriously, seriously awful stuff. <sighs> Oof. Uh, I covered MLW, I also covered AEW Dark Elevation that same day, uh, after the fact, not live. I covered MLW's Never Say Never event on Wednesday, and actually wound up recording after the fact a podcast with myself, uh, Mark Radlich, and Chris Bailey, where we discuss, uh, where we did uh, kind of a live watch-along for it, so you can find that uh, uh, as a podcast. I covered WWE Smackdown Fridays, so I covered last week's when Daniel Bryan got to stand tall, heading into the triple threat. I will be covering it this week when Roman Reigns will stand tall so everybody got their moment. Uh, Let's see, what else am I doing this? Uh, We also did a review for... See, Last week was our review of the anime Pacific Rim The Black, the Netflix exclusive anime, which we had a lot of fun talking about. And... What else? I feel like I missed something. So we did that um actually no that's it uh yeah that and the so you can find my you can find my other podcast over on the rattlesham broadcasting network or we're a subgroup of the w2m network so if you're on something like apple podcast it's just w2m network and our stuff will show up there but you can find our thoughts on the seven episode Signal series season thus far uh, pacific rim the black had a lot of fun with that this week, on the Ritalich Broadcasting Network, it's all monsters all the time. Sa- uh, Tuesday, we'll have a review for Godzilla vs. Kong, which debuted last Wednesday. <laughs> it's been out for a while. So myself, Mark Ritalich, and Alexis Haino will get together to discuss that movie, what we thought about it. Uh, yeah, I have thoughts. I have thoughts about that. But you'll have to tune in for that, so be on the lookout for that. Um, let see. Per usual, uh, AEW dark, dark Elevation on Monday Tuesday morning, depending on how my Mondays go. Wednesday, MLW. They're re-airing an old uh, episode of Underground. That'll be fun. I think this one features Terry Funk and Steve Carino. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't even good when it was contemporaneous in, like, 2003. Oof. And, oh, Thursday! Forgot this. Uh, I'm stepping in to cover night two of NXT Stand and Deliver events. Originally, Kevin Pantoja was gonna be able to do both. Apparently he can't do the second one anymore, so... In steps me. So you can find me covering that. That will be, again, Thursday evening. Friday, WWE SmackDown as the last stop on the road to WrestleMania. I am not covering either night of WrestleMania to the best of my knowledge. Uh, keep you in f- <laughs> Stay tuned, though, if something crazy happens. But at the moment, I am not covering that. So you can look forward to me covering those things, me podcasting those things. And I'll be back here next... And then, yeah, uh, Saturday morning, UFC on ABC2. Next week, we'll be back here to review UFC on ABC2, and we'll preview the Whitaker and Gastelum card set to take place on April 17th. That is... That is not a great card. <laughs> Look, Whitaker and Gastelum is a great fight. It was a great fight the first time they tried to make it. Not a strong supporting cast. Uh, yeah, not a strong supporting cast there. But we'll see what happens between now and then. It will almost certainly change in one way or another. All right. Thank you all very much. That is it for me. Again, like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend, share us around. All of that helps. Helps tremendously. So please engage in that particular practice. Uh, As always, stay safe out there. And please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.